So, Derek, here's a question I always ask people. Does Jacob look like my friend Ron Hat? Yes, he does. <laughs> I've never asked anyone that question. Oh, it's true. I don't know, but they're twins. The question I tend to ask almost everybody is, what have you been learning recently? Humility, patience, discipline, all in one package. And then as I've been reading a lot of like the, the lives of the saints, as I was talking about St. Seraphim of Saurav, and just learning about like how incredible God's people have always been, not just in the last like 150 years. And uh, I don't know, that's been very moving. Humility, Dis- patience, and discipline. Talk to me more about humility, patience, and discipline as like one, one idea or <clears throat> one s- yeah. theme. So I've been trying to submit myself to more things that I haven't come up with myself. So I've been trying to follow liturgical calendars, liturgical reading patterns, fasting calendars, fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, and like following Lent. And Why Wednesday and Friday? Um, so the tradition holds that Christ was betrayed on Wednesday and crucified on Friday. Yeah. So, so, you're, so the shape of the Christian week, talk to me about that, because I don't even think, as Protestants, we even... Catholics still think about that about that way. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday is Easter. Every Friday is Crucifixion Day. Right. But you're pointing Wednesday. For if you ask an evangelical what Wednesday means, they go youth group. Yeah. Wednesday night Bible study. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So on on Wednesdays, it's commemorating the uh, betrayal of Christ, and it's a fast day. Um, which means different things for different people. but um, And then typically in the evening they have um, a service, a Vesper service, an evening prayer service. And then, you know, sometimes they steal stuff from the evangelicals too and do a Bible study afterwards. But So it's <clears throat> the whole week is kind of always commemorating the life of Christ for, you know, different, following different patterns on that and stuff. What does a fast uh, look like to you? Um, I try to just follow the prescribed fast of the, the liturgical calendar, so Wednesdays and no, Fridays. No, I mean, like, pragmatically, what, what do you don't do? you eat? Right, that's what I'm getting to. Okay, okay. So it's, it's, I jumped ahead. <laughs> so it's prescribed uh, no meat, dairy, eggs, alcohol, and oil for some reason. Um, I haven't figured out why that is. So you still eat food? I still eat some food, yeah, um, but less of it. And um, less of the things that would be considered luxurious foods. Talking about this right now is very unhumble because I'm bragging about. Not if I ask direct questions. I guess so. It just feels weird. It's not like you're like, hey guys, just want to let you know how godly I am. Yeah. So yeah. Which reminds me of my favorite uh, uh, self-exalting joke, which is I was up all night, hardly got any sleep because I was just praying for you. To be more like me and Jesus. Oh, that's really uncomfortable. And then you're supposed to say thank you, see? Because you're a thought leader trademark. Yeah, evangelical thought leader trademark. Okay, ready for the next question, or, or do you feel yeah. like you've... I'm, yeah, let's go. Humility, patience, discipline, those three. Mm-hmm. Right, what is humility? What is, like, defining humility... What are you going after when you say that you're pursuing humility? Um, trying to be less self-centered and less 
being more unselfish. I always differentiate between the words selfless and unselfish. I think they're two different things. I can't really put my finger on why entirely. So if you were thinking about asking me to to do that, don't. Um, But unselfish is just being selfish less. And I'm doing it anyway. And selfless is like really just always thinking of yourself last. Um, So both of those things. I'm, I'm trying to, not not trying to be, but trying to be more available to be transformed into, um, if that makes sense. I really try to take as much of the effort off of, or as much of the onus off of my own shoulders as I possibly can. What is the uh, music you listen to just because you love it? Jazz. Specifically who? Who, who lately? Bill Evans and Miles Davis. So nobody knew. There's a pattern in my life, apparently. <laughs> okay, favorite uh, favorite uh, Tolkien uh, book. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Favorite character. My favorite character in the Tolkien Legendarium is not in The Hobbit, okay. but it's Tom Bombadil, who is not in the movies. Who is not in the movies? It's a, it's really a crime against humanity. A crime against humanity. <laughs> it's bad. It's irritating because I think Tom Bombadil, and this is controversial. This is just my opinion. Controversial. I believe that Tom Bombadil is the truest expression of the incarnation yeah. in the yeah. Tolkien. You've told me this before. Yeah, legendarium. But some people will say that's not true. But I don't care. Talk to me more about the uh, the idea of imagination and narrative and story and how um, they're good for the soul. Um, I don't know if I would say because sometimes they're hyperbolic, like uh, using you know hyperbole, <coughs> but they can point to things that are true without them or real without them being factual. And I realized this because I'd always loved Lord of the Rings, you know. And the story in that and the power of good and evil and friendship and, you know, selflessness and unselfishness. And, yeah, right. And, you know, materialism and being consumed by those things and um, being willing to to go forth without knowing what the end result is going to be. And that trust and that love and Samwise Gamgee is the best friend anybody could ever ask for. Um, so I was like, man, all this is just so true, and it always made me think of God. Uh, and then until later, I found out that Tolkien was a Christian, yeah. and he had this whole theory of spoiler sub-creation. Who heard about that? Where he was like, people would say, how did you create Lord of the Rings? He said, well, I don't create anything. I sub-create, because God has immensely already thought up everything that could possibly exist. So I'm just rearranging the pieces that he already made. Yeah. Van Halen again. You say Van Halen? Everything's connected, baby. Oh, okay. Eddie Van, <laughs> Eddie Van Halen. He said, "Anyone who thinks that they're writing a song is full of uh, something that's not good." Uh. Uh, the music didn't. You didn't make the music. You listened and heard the music. You reached out and, and you allowed mm. it to come through you. Yeah. And like that's his sense of how, where where does music come from? Well, Eddie says, "It comes through you, not not from you." Mm. You're listening to something that's, you know, he's exactly he's saying exactly what yeah. Tolkien said. So, 
you know, I start realizing that in the power of stories. I'm reading it even long before I'm like really serious about Jesus. And it just really spoke to me. And then I, as I started reading like the lives of the saints, some of the stories, I'm like, these are not, this isn't true. And then I realized, no, it's true. It's just not factual. So like the story of St. Nicholas. Everybody knows who St. Nicholas is, right? You mean jolly old St. Nicholas? Correct. Yeah, the Bishop of Myra. <laughs> and um, so like the, the story or the legend surrounding St. Nicholas is he stood in his own baptismal for three hours in worship as an infant. And that he would not nurse on Wednesdays and Fridays because <laughs> he was fasting. Okay. And I'm like... Let's relax, right? Right. So, I, you know, I started thinking, uh, I don't know, this makes me uncomfortable because I know that they're lying. And then I'm like, no, they're not lying. They're using story. They're saying... They're pointing to how devout and, and right. worshiping and, and serious that St. That Nicholas was about his faith and... What's that called when we do that to people we admire? Hagias? It's it's the word for holy. It's the word for saint. Hagias. Hagiography? No, it's when we exaggerate. I forget what. There's a word for it. I believe you. So, yeah, like, and there's other stuff like, wait, Saint Seraphim of Sadrav, you know, said that he knelt on a rock for a thousand days and nights praying the Jesus prayer. And I'm like, I don't know if he really did that. But I don't particularly care because I know that he was a real dude yeah. and he was real serious about Jesus and, and loving the people around him and devoting himself to prayer. So my cessationist friends would say that, you know, the, the authority of the, of the older churches, um, the older churches point to miracles as evidence to support that God is with them, and therefore God, God's authorization is upon them. And my cessationist friends would say, uh, you know, look at all those claims like that, and like claims like, I remember Luther said something like, if you can capture all the pieces of the true cross that are in Europe, you could construct Noah's Ark. Hmm. <laughs> you get it, right? That can't, that's not, that's too much wood. <laughs> Somebody's much. lying. Uh, and, and the arguments like that are what, are what helped uh, Protestants then embrace pure reason mm-hmm. and reject some of the mystery. So like younger, younger Luther says, there aren't miracles anymore. And then older Luther prays for a friend and he's miraculously healed in, like, like so quickly. And he goes, maybe they're not totally gone. Yeah, you know? Nobody believes in miracles until they need one. But well, they got one. They got one. Um, yeah, and I think... Similar things are happening in general in the world now, you know, with scientific progress and philosophical progress or so-called progress um, starts really influencing culture. And there was some kind of an inverse somewhere along the line. It used to be that the church influenced the culture in terms of architecture and art and thought and song. And the pendulum swung one way the other way, and then all of a sudden it was the world that was influencing the culture, I mean, the culture that was influencing the church. So, you know, with rationalism, enlightenment, all that stuff, um, as they were seeing, like, scientific progress with that, and I wouldn't say a better understanding of the way things work, but an easier understanding or an easier explanation of the way things work, rather than it's a mystery, then... But we're hungry for more than matter. Yeah. Like, like, like Harry Potter and like all like 
by what we read and by the stories we like and the myths we, we still tell, we're, you know, like the whole Marvel universe is predicated on the idea that each of us wishes we had mm-hmm. superpowers and lived in a world with magic. Yeah, I mean, it's totally... I, um... We wish the gods were among us, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And the mist... And like the, the, but actually, that's our, in, well, that's our intuition saying we're spiritual. And I, we try to quell that, I think. Yeah. And it's flipped and it's inverse and everything's upside down. So, you know, the church starts getting influenced by that. And I talked about this in one of my talks that I think it's happening now with the whole spiritual, not religious thing. So churches are trying to eliminate anything that has the appearance of religion, which to them typically would equate to ritual. Because the Jesus brand needs saving. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that makes... Uh. Ugh. But I'm right. I know. That's our perception. We're our embarrassed perception. about God. We're embarrassed about... Um, we're definitely embarrassed about heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. I think we're embarrassed about the cross. I think, I think we're embarrassed about the need to repent mm-hmm. of sin. I think we're embarrassed about what is and is not sin. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. I'm, sh- and I'm sure that some of this is because we've had bad models of Christianity that we're saying that's not the real thing. Mm-hmm. It's so much deeper. But... You can't get rid of the word Christ. I have a friend who refuses to call himself a Christian. He wants to call himself a Jesus follower. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, you accept the label and fill the package with better things. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all the, you know, I'm not in a, re- I'm not in a religion. I'm in a relationship. And I, I understand that, but I'm like, it's the same thing. Yeah, what, what, what some people have told me when I've tried to explain that I'm not religious is that I'm very religious. Yeah. And, they, and, and they're fine with that. What they're not fine with is hypocrisy. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, so even with the whole spiritual not religious thing, the irony of the whole thing is all the spirituality that they try to take from, like, far eastern religions is all the religious parts of those religions. Silly. So what is, re- what is good religion? Because James talks about true religion, right? Yeah, just read your Bible. It's in there. Caring for widows and orphans in their distress. and I couldn't quote it. Loving one another and being pure and unstained from the world. That's, that sounds that's, ab- that's, about right. That's pure religion. I, I think you're pretty close. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah, do, do some good things. I, li- I still like using that that, that word religion to, um, instead of having to like rewrite the whole narrative for somebody who's like, mm, I don't know about that, mm-hmm. accepting their, their terms and assumptions, even though it's just like when you call somebody a pastor mm-hmm. in our culture, that triggers the same meaning that in the original Christian culture, the word elder would have meant, mm-hmm. right? So do we take the time every single time we're talking to a Christian in America to do you know what I mean? It gets, it gets, it's like I've just finally submitted to it. Fine, I'm a pastor. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that's a very pastoral way to approach it. Knowing the needs of the people that you're trying to shepherd and oversee and be a part of. And well, it's like the word Christian was actually a, a slanderous accusation. Like, oh, you little Christs, yeah. you know, at Antioch. And then they were like, fine, we'll take that. Your band... When you talked about the story about you guys got broke down and the van wouldn't run, mm-hmm. 
it was a metalcore band. Is that what you? Yeah. What is metalcore? Heavy. Heavy music. Listen, I it, listen to music where the singers actually sing. They don't just scream on, you know. That's what I. I'm sure that's band. true. There was this very attractive young woman, and then she started singing into the microphone with the screaming, and she seemed a lot less attractive to me instantly. And probably the opposite effect would have happened to Derek. He'd have been like, "What a what a powerhouse of lady!" I did the I did all the screaming in my band. You did the screaming. I'm not. I know. <laughs> I can't. So that's, I like can't that's where do that it anymore. Double bass came from. No, I never played drums in a metal band. Yeah. She's asking what kind of metal bands. Like currently. I really loved the Devil Wears Prada. They were a big the movie, right? I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. And the book, and the band. Um, for today was really good. R.I.P. Um, they're not dead. They just broke up. Who else did I like? I don't know. No. Punk, yeah. Melodic punk. Much prefer punk. Meshuggah. Yeah, I did. I saw them live with 18 Visions and Avenged Sevenfold. Don't like Avenged Sevenfold very much. Their first EP was really good, and then it all went downhill from there. I got it. So... I'm trying to imagine, like, it does seem to me, like, picturing you in an Orthodox church and incorporating uh, metalcore into the liturgy there. There's a band. feels like uh, the kind of contextualization that would, be, that would make that Orthodox brand relevant. <laughs> There's a band called Batushka, which means father in Russian, or Church Slavonic. And so they came out and they're a black metal band and they dress as Orthodox monks and they set up the whole stage as a as a nave and an altar. Okay. It's not because they're not Christians. That seems really irreverent. It is. And everything's inverted. So then another they broke up, well, a guy left and started another Batushka that does the exact same thing and says, No, we're the real Batushka. So it was a schism. <laughs> and then a third Batushka shows up on the scene. It's just like church. Yeah. A third one shows up, and they're actually Orthodox monks. And they're like, no, we're the real... We're the real Batushka. And it's pretty... It's ridiculous. And then we could make a, a, a movie about it and title it The Real Batushka. Real Batushka. Yeah. They, like, throat chant the whole... Liturgy under death metal. You like The Office, right? Yes. Yeah. What was the best, uh, what was your favorite character on The Office? This is an unpopular opinion, but Robert California. Oh, yeah. Oh, actor's name. James Spader. James Spader. He was, he's been like a favorite of mine ever since Boston Legal back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. The way he, my favorite is he drove down to Florida and convinced Joe to give him her job. And he became the owner of yes. the company. Like yes, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so daily routine. You get up in the morning. You see how I switch gears? Not with no transitions whatsoever. It's just mm-hmm. like an abrupt left turn. You get up in the morning. Feeling like P. Diddy? 
Feeling. <laughs> is that a Kesha song? I think so. Oh my goodness! <laughs> the fact that I know that is funny. Um. <laughs> Did I brush my teeth today? Certainly not with a bottle of Jack. Um, <laughs> what is your daily morning routine, or do, and do you have one, or does it change? No, it's pretty much the same. Um, I wake up. Okay, so typically it changes a little bit. I'll explain. I try to wake up between 5 and 5.30. Depending on how sleepy I am, I go back to sleep on the couch. But once I'm actually awake, I, I go downstairs. I have um, um, an icon corner in my little office space downstairs. And I light my candles and sometimes I'll offer incense. And what then, are the icons of? Um, I have a lot of them. I have a huge one of Christ called the Pantocrator, which means yeah. um, God Almighty. And then I have another one of him. Yeah. And then I have... Um, That's how you pronounce that? Yeah. There's words I've read and then I never heard anyone say them out loud, so I always was like Pantocritus or whatever. Panto- yeah. And then I have another one of the Lord, and then I have one of uh, the Virgin with Child, so it's Mary holding Jesus, and I have a little one that my friend brought me from Israel of the Nativity, it's beautiful, that's the bottom, and then I have the top shelf that has the Last Supper, and has St. Moses the Black, and St. Seraphim of Sadrav, and then the, um, the Old Testament depiction of the Trinity, the Hospitality of Abraham. Where Abraham mm-hmm. meets them and basically has a meal together. Yeah, and uh, and I love that icon because the the part of it, the tables in it, and the part of the table facing you is the open part. So it's this invitation to the table, and then I have um, Saint Herman of Alaska and Saint Innocent of Alaska, which were the first missionaries. Alaska. Mission- yeah, they were the first mission Orthodox missionaries to America. Um, Dude named Herman. Hmm. They're both Russian. That's so fascinating. What did you? There's so and so the black. Saint Moses the black. Who is that? So he was an Ethiopian um, that went into the desert into Egypt, and he was part of a gang. And this is before he knew the Lord. Um, so he was part of a gang, and he was very promiscuous and very, you know, a, a drunkard. All these things. And he was raiding the desert, and there was a monk going through on his horse. And he robbed the monk and then left. And hours later, the monk caught up to him and said, I forgot I had this hidden in my shoe, and gave him his remaining money. And um, he was so moved by anybody whose God would make them that generous that he left and joined the monastery with the monk. And there's lots of stories of while he was there. like People would ask, he would still struggle with addiction and struggle with lust and struggle with anger and all these things even after you know being saved and um, but kept working it out and people would say you know Moses we need you to come settle this dispute of sin between our brothers so he would show up with a bag of sand with a hole in it and he would just walk around the room and finally somebody was like what are you doing and he said my brothers I leave a trail of sin behind me who am I to be the judge between the two of you reconcile and love one another and um that was really impactful to me and in the end all of the gang that he was a part of eventually came and raided the monastery 
and St. Moses sent everybody away and stayed to defend the monastery by himself and was, was martyred there. And he always said, he always referenced the scripture, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. And he said, I lived by the sword. I always expected to go out that way. So, I don't know, his life is very, yeah, but very impactful to me. Best piece of advice that you've received recently? I was going to say don't accept any wooden nickels, but I don't know why. Uh, no, best piece of advice I, I received. I wouldn't accept any nickels of any kind. Yeah. My son calls quarters big nickels. They are big nickels. That's funny. <laughs> Daddy, look, I got a big nickel. <laughs> I'll have that. Um, no, the best advice I received was stand before God in authenticity. Be exactly who you are, how he made you to be. Take that authentic self, offer it to God, and ask him for what you want. Put it in his hands and have no expectations of knowing what he's doing while he's working it out because he's mean like that. That's the best advice I've received recently. Yeah. So basically surrender Mm-hmm. and let go of your expectations that it's going to look a certain way, that the mm-hmm. answer is going to look a certain way. I feel like it's a much better way of saying let go and let God because <laughs> I don't like that. I believe it, but I don't that like That expression it. is a really pithy and memorable, let go, let God, is a very pithy, memorable uh, way of saying something, but it's been said so, it's like the, it's like the footsteps poem. It's so mm-hmm. popular yeah. that it's hard. It's so popular that it's become cliche. Right. But it's still true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yep. All right. Um, best, best, uh, no, that's not the right word. Favorite, <laughs> favorite scripture author. Time out. We never finished the morning routine thing. Okay, I'll put a pin in, in favorite scripture author right there, and we'll go back to morning routine. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I interrupted asking about icons. Right. So I stand so there. Get up. You go over to your... Okay. Icon space, candles. Thank you for not being so ADD like I am. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome. And uh, then I pray the morning prayers from my prayer book. And then I have a time of intercessions for people. Um, and I, I need to get back to this, but I would keep a, a little book of list of just names. And I would actually pray the Jesus prayer, but I would place the name in the prayer. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on Tim, have mercy on Derek, have mercy on Kate, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then I will read the uh, the scripture readings for the day, the gospel and the epistle reading. And then, depending on the season, um, I'll also pray a set of psalms. So, if it's in a Lenten season, so leading into Easter, leading into Christmas, um, during that time, I'll try to to pray the psalms as well. And that's that. That's the morning routine. And how long have you, how long have you been uh, a believer? Truly since 2011. And how long have you been practicing your faith using liturgy as a tool? Hardcore the past like year and a half, but ostensibly since... 2013. So you started pretty quick into it. Yeah. All right, now can I go back to the other question? Sure, or? yeah. Okay. Um, you, you know what I mean by favorite 
author of scripture, like whose style? Well, I mean, like whose... like, you feel bad saying you have favorites because it's all the everybody word of God. has favorites. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But there's there's times when you're doing the Bible through your disciplined Bible readings, yeah. and you're like, ah, back home again. Like it's a it's like a, it feels like home. Yeah, you know. Um, I love John. And I love his flowery love language and poetic voice. Concrete, simple. Right. And um, the vocabulary of a second grader and the wisdom deeper than any philosopher. Right. Like what? That's the best. And I like Luke because yeah. of his detail. Yeah. Um, and I like reading Luke and Acts as just one thing, as you, as you should. And uh, in my super, my super uh, feeling good times, I really love to just read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I really love Ecclesiastes a lot. Why? Because it's just real. Like, nothing means anything. It's all chasing after the wind. Vanity, it's meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. Like, it's so seemingly on the surface jaded. And I'm like, who doesn't feel that way sometimes? And it's a reminder of like, hey, guess what? God's, God's in that feeling too. So I was watching one of those, you know, Carrie woke me up with the baby this morning real early, like four or something. And, and so I was wide awake with my brain going, so I was watching some of your Russian Orthodox monks on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I found the uh, elder, wisdom of the elders or whatever it is, something of the elders. And this extremely old man was sitting there saying, I have nothing I want to achieve, nowhere I want to go. I'm fully content and I have no desires of any kind or cravings. How liberating. Like compare that with like some of my other heroes like Gary Vaynerchuk who's like, you got to hustle. You need to work your full-time job and then at night from... 9 p.m. to 2 in the morning, you're going to do your side hustle, and you're going to get ahead, and that's how you're going to crush it this year. And I'm like, those are not the same worldviews. <laughs> no, they're really not. Um, no, they're not. One guy's like, my goal is to be completely at peace, and I find that if, in, if anything disturbs my peace, it's because I'm not trusting God. And I find that if I humble myself before the Lord, instantly relief comes, and everything in my life is perfect again no matter how I'm being treated. And I'm listening going, there it is. Yeah. I think that's what you were referring to earlier. Humility. Discipline, patience. Discipline, patience. Yeah. And this guy was all like, take everything is from the hand of God and, and I'm good. Fine. That's, I love one of the, the morning prayers. Um, I think it was Metropolitan Philaret wrote this morning prayer. He was... Surprise, Russian. I just love the Russians, man. Um, but in the prayer, it says, like, may I accept everything as it comes to me this day as your will. Um, may I not um, embarrass or embitter those around me. Um, you know, teach me how to pray, how to hope, how to suffer, how to love, and you yourself pray within me. It's just incredibly all-encapsulating and humbling and disciplined and patient I don't know. And then, like I said, that quote from St. Seraphim of um, acquire a spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. 
And I'm like, that's, I've been praying for peace the entire time that I've known the Lord. And, you know, uh, I'm getting, getting it. I'm getting there. But we're always just getting there. I don't know. For so many years, I've been, I've been wrestling with, like, what, what does it mean to be a Christian leader um, when all I really want to do is be a mystic? And to be a Christian leader in the United States is almost to be a CEO, mm-hmm. right? An administrator, a, 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 a captain, a coach. Uh, a thought leader. A, 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 a momentum builder, a vision caster. And like, all I want to do is be a mystic, you know, and a poet and a worshiper. And so I've been tr- really confused about my calling for a decade. <laughs> it should always be a good inverse. Go. Yeah, it should be like a good inverse. So, I'm beating a dead horse, but the Russian starets, the they were the, the holy elders, they would call them, were these people that, that would withdraw from the hustle and bustle of the world, and they would kind of go off into these hermitages in the wilderness, but their door was always open. And by withdrawing and choosing not to stand before people, they became the leaders of, of the Christian culture in that country, where people would would go to them knowing that they had acquired that spirit of peace and that spirit of discipline and humility and love and generosity. And it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, you can't, you can't fulfill the Great Commission living in a shack out in the woods, not talking to anybody. But somehow they unless were. You, unless you get heaven. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when, when you contact heaven, like it does something, and then suddenly people get radar, and they, they, they intuitively start to go where they sense a thin space, you know? Now, I'll, a liminal space? I like that word. They can feel it in their little intuitive radar. But I will also say, like, I'm, I'm not saying that, I don't think that necessarily advocates the attractional model of church. Um, because that was obviously something where it was attractional. People were attracted to what they had, and they came. Yeah, but we want people to be attracted to the Spirit of God and to the character of Jesus and the image of God, not if you come to our church, we're going to give away a car. Right. Yeah. No bounce houses. I feel rude even saying that. Like, I feel like I'm like, getting dangerously close to... It's I don't like... want to talk bad about other churches, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Did you say, where's my car? Dude, where's my car? <laughs> You can have my Saturn when I'm done with it. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's nearing its end of life. It's, there's a little crack in the windshield, and that means they're not going to pass it with inspection unless I get the windshield. And I'm like, to repair the, wind, the windshield will be the price of the vehicle's worth. Okay. <laughs> my life is good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, unless you get heaven. I like that. That's totally a thing. I mean, what was the start of this question? Just my own inner pondering of... of oh, wanting to know, be a mystic. But. And I'm not saying it's, it's pressure that people have put on me. I'm talking about it's pressure I've put on me because I, I so badly want to be a, a, an effective leader, and, and, but it feels almost like foreign, non-Holy Spirit energies and pressures um, to be almost like, like I said, like a CEO. Like, yeah. Like... You read business uh, leadership stuff, and I go, oh, man, I'm so allergic to that. Yeah, me too. You know, but I, but I want to be an effective godly leader. Right. And I have this theory, but I'm afraid to believe it fully, and it's that a godly leader 
is just a godly person. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. And that be the agenda. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I think about, like, the whole, you know, like, lose your life to gain it thing. You know, if you want to be people that are called to leadership, that seek after leadership, or to improve their own leadership, not saying that there's no place for, like, exercising leadership muscles or, you know, doing things to better yourself. But if that's your heart is like the, the hustle, hustle, hustle mentality, you're doing it wrong. I, I, I think, I don't know, what do I know? But it's like that inverse. If you're like, all I'm going to do is, is try to live a quieter life, a more peaceable life, a more loving life, a more generous life, and try to, to really exhibit all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like unavoidable. It's like exactly what you're saying. If you just become a godly person, it's going to happen. People are going to start following that lead. If I ask you about church stuff, is that going to be too personal and too emotional, or should I stay away from that? Or? No, you can. Okay. Um, what do you think... What would you say to someone, a younger version of you, um, heading into a vocational um, position in a local church? What advice would you give? That's complicated. You can say pass. No, I don't want to pass. My initial instinct was, have you done as much as possible to just be, to just be, a, a part of this body, serving it, doing anything else you can other than vocational ministry. And I don't, say, I don't want to say that in like a jaded kind of um, um, way. You, know, you remember what I read from the, the 55 maxims last night? It says, just be one of the human race, an ordinary person. Are you capable of doing that? Because I wasn't at the time, so I probably shouldn't have jumped in so quickly, necessarily. But you know how you see young people in love, and like you can, and even if they're single, there's like this time, there's this thing that goes on, this switch that goes on, and then they're like, you know what, by this time next year, they will have found someone and married someone. Yeah. Because they have this thing. I, when, the, when the ministry, full-time ministry thing, they get pregnant with it, like, they're not going to listen to you, dude. <laughs> right. But you asked, what would I say? I know, you know? I know. Um, so that'd be, that'd be a part of it. And the other thing, too, would be, have you really gotten to know your, this church that you're trying to jump in and lead? Or do you know, like, do you know how it makes decisions? Do you know how it's governed? Do you know who calls the shots? Do you know what things are on the table and off the table? Do so you practical know? things of culture and sensitivity. Right. Yeah. yeah. Does your... Does your spiritual passions fit in with the heart and vision of what they're trying to accomplish here? And can you really contribute those things to the table? Will they be welcomed? Um, are you on board with all the things that they are currently contributing to the table? And um, rather than thinking, I'm going to bust in here and I'm, I'm going to change the world and, you know, that excitable, youthful sort of deal. And all the time I think about, like, I don't think this matters too much. But I think it's funny, you know, I was 25 
when I started in ministry, which in the scheme of things is like, I think ridiculously young. And because what, in Jewish culture, you weren't allowed to be a leader until you were 30. And but it was also forced retirement at like 50, so. Yeah, but it, I get the 30 part for sure. Um, that makes sense to me. Is that a good answer? It's, a, it, it's an answer that I think would be difficult to live out. So maybe it is a pretty good answer. You know, if it was an easy answer, maybe maybe they, we would like. I would like it, and I would say, "Cool," because you're just saying, "Go, just go, just try." Right. Partly, that would be almost my advice to to my younger me: is just go, just try, just build, just just do, jump in. Everyone makes lots of mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. So go ahead and make a bunch <clears throat> of mistakes. Yeah, I also agree with with that. Sort of. I would say after you've done everything that I just said, then do that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the complete package, I think. So this is an observation, and you can you know, bear this out. One of the hallmarks of monastic life is submission to a, I'm going to call it a chain of, of command. Okay. It's not the right word for it, but it is, it is a, a definite hierarchy mm-hmm. of authority. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I visited, what was the name of the monastery that, that Eric took me to? The Holy Transfiguration. I asked a lady there wh- why she picked the name she picked. Because mm-hmm. they lose their secular name and they mm-hmm. get, yeah. And she said, oh, I didn't, I didn't pick my name. The name was assigned to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's interesting. Why? And she talked to me about submission Utter submission and obedience being our deepest need. Mm. Um, is, there so, is there something we evangelicals are missing on that? Do you know what I mean? I, I really do think so, because I would agree with that. And I think the nature of reality is in and of itself hierarchical. And I think we've inverted that so much in our culture that that's why we have some of these societal issues that we have. But that's a totally different topic of conversation. Um, But the problem in the evangelical world is a lot of times the hierarchy stops within the four walls of a church building. And... I don't know why necessarily. I, I can't really maybe flesh this out too much right now. I'd have to think more about it. But I do think it. I think that's really unfair to the person that's at the top of the chain within the church building. That's a lot of um, that's a lot of burden to bear. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of expectation. And you know that does something to people. And then they start making decisions that maybe aren't in the best interest of anybody. Um, Everyone should be, like, uh, the the um, the Gentile um, centurion who said to Jesus, "Look, I'm also a man under authority, mm-hmm. and that's why my authority is valid for those under underneath me is because I'm under authority." And yeah. he was referencing the fact that Jesus was under authority, mm. and because he was under the Father's authority, the Father backed him up with power when he gave a, a command. Yeah, and so everyone is to be under right. 
a structure of authority submitting so that our our flesh our you know what i'm saying uh, yeah i do yeah and so that's and what so, you're saying is in a local church if there's just like a king at the top that's deeply unhealthy right and a lot of times that'll be justified by saying you know well as the the lead guy as the senior pastor or whatever you know i'm under god's authority and like that's true we all are but you know you look at things you know church governance is a totally different topic but well what i'm referencing is just for our each of our spiritual development, our pride needs to die. Mm-hmm. And whatever offends me reveals me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, it, just, it just seems like, like I was at Teen Challenge the other day, and Bob Carey was sharing a story about how he didn't finish his apple mm. because part of it was green. So he had to do three hours of digging in the mulch till he blisters in his hands, sore back, because he didn't finish his apple. You, you eat everything you were t- that you took. Mm. That's the policy. He didn't do it, so he's working for three hours. And he was out there muttering and being like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And now, all these years later, like 26 years later, he says, right there, uh, taking my lumps for a rule I don't agree with, submitting to people who I thought were stupid, was what formed the kind of integrity in me yeah. and humility in me to, to do all the stuff that I'm now doing. Those, and he, his thing was, those little things are the most important things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I could feel the room. We were all going, an apple? Really? Three hours of digging in the mulch? For you? Not eating all? You ate half the apple? It had, it, it wasn't. And I just sat there smiling, big smile on my face going, that's, that's, that's critical. What he's saying is critical, you know? Because yeah. our deepest need is not to get what we want. It's right. to have our pride broken and have genuine humility. and You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why traditionally people would always have um, you know, a spiritual father. And you, we've talked about that. And this idea of... That's fine. Somebody that you trust, that you trust so much that you're, you're willing to submit to that, regardless of how silly it might seem or how silly a thing that they might prescribe to you might seem but they know you they know your heart they know your challenges they know your struggles they know your difficulties and they're going to help you break those things um so what you're describing is again it's spiritual direction mm-hmm. and i and what i'm what i'm value one of the things i'm valuing so much in the perspective that you're bringing and in the perspective that i've seen in my more liturgical mm-hmm. uh the older faith is this sense that you, you don't have to be your own physician. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not every man for himself. You don't Deciding have to truth this thing, yeah. and, and coming up with his own doctrine or her doctrine and then getting her own little group of followers or his own little group of followers and starting a new denomination every five minutes. Mm-hmm. But rather, it's, look, I don't know if I agree with the teaching of my denomination, or in your case, you would call it the faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I even agree with all this, but how unbelievably arrogant would it be for me to claim as one individual to rewrite truth for all people of all times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a key component of it to me is like, okay, I might not even intellectually believe that all of this stuff is true. And just to clarify, like, I think right now we're talking about orthodoxy, right? Yeah, we're talking about orthodoxy. Intellectually, there's things that I still am like, I don't know. But in my heart, I'm like, no, this is it. This is it. Even this morning, I, I was praying in the shower because that's a good place to pray. And... You know, I was thinking, you're, you're so it, right? laid back 
that it drives me crazy, but I love you with all of my heart. And because I've been kind of like following suit with that, I honestly feel like I've been more more available to hear what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do in moments. So I've been throwing stuff out of the agenda and changing stuff on a whim and seeing that that truly was what God wanted because it's, it's what worked the best in that time. So that happened this morning where for the prayer exercise we're going to do, God really spoke to me and said, don't do that scripture, do this one. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I thought to myself there, you know. Just so you know, I'm still learning that. Because when I set my mind to do a thing, I'll follow through to the point where it's actually hurting me and hurting mm-hmm. people. But I set it, so I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. And lately, I've had people in our church saying to me, just because you said that doesn't mean that you were right to say it. And if you weren't right to say it, then you're not right to follow through on it. Did you check? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was going to keep a fast going way long. And, and you know, Brian Hibbs pushed me on it. He said, did you talk to Jesus about that? And I was like come on, I can handle this. Like, so I talked to the Lord about it, and instantly he released me from going on too far. And so I, I broke fast earlier than I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. And, it, and instead of being, I'm still growing in this thing of being free is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, oh, we all are. If yeah. I, work, I worked for a dude for a summer, and I didn't quit when I should have, and he, would, he, had these, he had bad character, and his angry outbursts like, were rage outbursts and I noticed that I suddenly started to struggle with anger and I had not struggled with anger in like 10 years right and I should have quit but I'm almost incapable of quitting something I commit to it's like I'm doggedly stubborn like to a fault and what what I'm trying to say Derek is you see me as really free but the reality is the Lord's still getting me free yeah I believe you that's the nature of things. We'll see something in somebody that doesn't mean that that's the entirety of who they are. But so, you know, he told me this, and I'm thinking, I'm really hearing you very clearly right now, so I'm going to go ahead and ask, you know, are you calling me to this? Are you calling me to this Orthodox faith? And he's like, that's what I told you. I said, well, what about this? I'm still asking that. I'm still that's asking hilarious. it. And I'm like, okay, what about the X, Y, Z? What about this doctrine? And he goes, no, no, no. I called you to it. I told you this is where you're going to be. This is where you need to be. So what do you do with the fact that he's called me here? We'll work that out later. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Because we have an ongoing disagreement about some doctrinal matters. And what was intriguing to me was I called it an argument, and I didn't think you didn't like that, did you? Like an argument should rise to some sort of emotional heated level, and we didn't get emotional and heated. No, we didn't, which was nice. And it didn't cause either of us to lose respect for each other. No, it didn't. Well, I didn't lose respect for you. I don't know what was going on in your heart, but do you know what I'm saying? I lost respect for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was nice. And I'm going, oh, he's 100% convinced that the Orthodox faith is the true, full, the fullest expression of the body that you can find. And I'm going, I'm not convinced of that. I'm convinced of something else which mm-hmm. I preach here right yeah. do you know what I mean um, but how could I be upset with you for being convinced that you found something beautiful and true and ancient that you actually believe their dogma yeah what's wrong what would be wrong with that you know what I mean I don't know I guess that that mindset of being getting upset with somebody for being convinced of something <laughs> is pretty American um, I don't know 
What was I heard? I was watching a Chinese comedian, and he was talking about you know how the culture shock. He's like, so I show up here, and he's like, oh my word, I'm not going to do his accent because. In trying to honor him by doing his accent, I'll accidentally do it terribly and it will feel wrong. But he's like, I came to America and it's the land of abundance. There's more, there's, you have more food than you could possibly eat. You have more stuff than you could ever own. And if you, you, and like, you have so much opportunity and nobody's happy and everyone's angry and complaining. <laughs> I was like, oh, you get, you're getting it. You're getting the culture shock thing. That's cool. That's cool. The Celtic Christians called it anamchara, mm-hmm. soul friends, yeah. where they counseled each other. It was less of the one person up, one person down, mm-hmm. but it was more of the both of them submitting to each other yeah. in, like, I will give you advice based on what I know of you, and you would give me advice based on what you know of me, and we mutually submit, yeah. and our friendship causes us, it's the, <laughs> what was the joke the dude said the other day? Like two bros ironing each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's not quite it. Yeah. Um, how can we, how would you give advice to us, our vaguely charismatic, vaguely Anabaptist church of people who really love each other? How would you encourage us to pursue or develop a culture of spiritual direction? Uh, the easiest way would be that Celtic model. Um, but I also would say that. Spiritual direction, I really view that as a as a charism, a gift, a gift yeah. Um, yeah. that not yeah. that not everybody has, yeah. and then when they have it, you cultivate it. So I think it would be really singling out who are the people in your congregation that everybody's going to, who are people naturally going to for spiritual advice and for prayer and for direction, and then invest in growing that gift in those people. And then help them to be perceptive of other people that they maybe see a seed of that gift in. And then have those two people engage in that, that Anamkara, the, the Celtic. Oh, so it's Kara, not Chara. Again, with it's words whatever. I've seen on paper, but nobody talks about yet. Doesn't, I don't know how to pronounce everything. Too. So yeah, I would say you know, starting with the people that are naturally gifted in this and then help them to perceive it in others. And you know, training helps. And there's a um, there's the institute that I'm trained by called the um, the Sela Institute that's in Nashville, and then there's actually one close to here. It's in D.C. and it's called uh, Shalem Institute for Spiritual Formation and Direction, and that's helpful to have somebody like form you. It's not that they can teach you this, but help form you in like this. I always describe this to directees when I'm in a spiritual direction relationship with somebody is I'm always listening at a 90-degree angle. I'm always listening this way and this way, which is immensely difficult um, to be fully attentive in both directions at any given point in time and then asking questions based on what you're hearing in the vertical way and then listening to what you're hearing in the horizontal way and then sending that up in the vertical way and and always kind of fleshing it out and teasing it out, and not really actually doing anything, but doing a lot. And um, In other words, you're not the one doing the talking. God's doing the talking, and you're doing a lot, of, a lot more active listening than you would in a normal conversation. Yeah. yeah active Th- listening to the Holy Spirit. Thomas Merton has a really good quote about spiritual direction, which is, the spiritual director helps the directee be attentive to the true spiritual director, which is the Holy Spirit within themselves. So... 
My time is up. Cheers. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having.